Thank you, mini band. Does that count as a band? I'm not sure. It does for our gig night. Have I mentioned that already? Um, Rachel's going to come bring our reading. It's from Isaiah chapter 6. There is a small pile of Bibles to my left, your right. A larger pile up over there. If you haven't brought one with you, just go and grab one. Um, You may want to follow along. Isaiah, the legend that is, not legend, prophet. (laughs) We won't get into that. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, the first verses, Rachel, thank you. Isaiah's Commission. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Thank you very much, Rachel. Michael, come on up. Uh, Was anyone at the cathedral last week? Wasn't that good fun? This man was instrumental in making that happen. And we are so grateful. And we're so grateful that you've uh, come along and joined our much smaller party this week. Over to you. So excited. Thank you for coming. Let's give this guy a clap. I'm on screen. Um, First of all, thank you very much indeed for um, having me this evening. It's a great honour and privilege to be with you this evening, not least because, as I understand it, St. Helens is the oldest church in Worcester. Um, uh, The cathedral is simply sort of the new kids on the block, so I'm really glad to come to the home of of Christianity in the city. 
I have to say, it is quite scary, actually, um, being here and suddenly finding that, you know, the, the vicar himself um, is here. I was, it reminds me of once I went to um, speak in a church in Reading, uh, and I got up, and there in front of me, I noticed on holiday, sitting in the front row, was the Bishop of Reading. I thought, oh, no, oh, no. Um, but um, um, So it is slightly scary. But it is rather sweet because... really because at the, at the equivalent service the year before, Owen said to me at the end, wouldn't it be wonderful to fill the cathedral with a thousand local Christians? And it's a testimony to Owen's um, diplomacy and energy and generosity that um, it all came off. I don't want to embarrass Owen, that's too much for anyway, but it seems right in, in St. Helens to, to recognise that and uh, thank him for it. And I was thinking a little bit uh, about that uh, this week when um, at the cathedral we've been interviewing for uh, a new member of staff and one of the candidates in the interviews kept talking in every answer that he gave to the questions that were being asked of him he kept talking about relationships with other people and the relationships that the job would involve good relationships with the, the king's school or good relationships um, with the choristers of the choir and their parents or good relationships with members of cathedral staff or good relations with people outside the cathedral community. It seemed that every answer that he gave was all about relationships. And I wondered, is this becoming a bit of a stuck record? And then I actually realized that actually it's all about relationships and the quality of good relationships and communication within relationships. Uh, and I hope that the legacy of last week and that amazing and wonderful service that we had is better relationships and better communication between the churches of our city so that my kingdom come is not just an annual thing where we get together but actually it's just the icing on the cake a much deeper and richer cake of all that we are doing together uh, before i came to work at the cathedral i was um, working in a parish church and we were richly blessed, enormously richly blessed by the relationships that we had as leaders of the different churches together in the town. Relationships that enabled us to do extraordinary things together. Street pastors and food bank and debt advice and youth work in the secondary school and um, healing rooms, all sorts of things got going. Uh, and that was because uh, we agreed to meet frequently together, uh, monthly as leaders to plan things together, and weekly we committed to praying together, which was quite a hefty ask to meet together weekly uh, to pray, a big commitment time-wise, but it meant that the communication between us was there and the friendships were there, the relationships were there, and those relationships and friendships became strong enough so that when 
difficulties arose, as inevitably difficulties do arise as we're working on different things together, issues and problems, that the, the relationships, the friendships were strong enough to withstand um, the, the pressure they were put under by the issues and difficulties that we had to deal with. So my hope and prayer is that what happened last Sunday in the cathedral will be the catalyst to deeper relationships, one with another, channels of communication, so that together um, they'll be strong enough uh, to enable us to serve the city and, and bring it the good news that we would long to bring. All that is, is by the by, just by way of introduction, or in fact, uh, actually, that it may chime in with, with what I come to say, because what I'd like to talk about um, this evening is the idea of God the Trinity, God the Holy Trinity, because the Church of England calls today Trinity Sunday, and you might well think, why on earth do we have a Sunday designated especially for God the Holy Trinity? Surely we worship God the Holy Trinity all year round. Why make a particular fuss of the Trinity on one particular Sunday? And there's a really good reason for doing it, for designating this Sunday as Trinity Sunday, because of course last Sunday was Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit 50 days after Easter. So if you like, last Sunday completed the Easter season, the Easter story, all that happened pertaining to Christ's death and his resurrection. And that itself finished off the story of Christ's life, which of course began at Christmas when we celebrated his birth. So in other words, right through from December to last Sunday, we've been celebrating Christ's life in its entirety, from his nativity, his birth, right the way through to his death and his resurrection, and then, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And it's now that that's complete, and only now that that's complete, that we can sort of stand back, as it were, and see what we've got, and see that God has been made known to us Christians as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's only now, if you like, that we've seen the whole Christian story, the whole story of Christ's life from beginning to end, from his coming at Christmas to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so this day, Trinity Sunday, is, if you like, a stop take. It's a registering that we can now talk of God as Holy Trinity because that's how God has been revealed to us in the life of Jesus Christ. Some people, when they're asked to speak on Trinity Sunday, it fills them with dread and fear. When Rich says to Owen, I'd like you to preach on Trinity Sunday, uh, Owen's legs go to absolute jelly and mush. He regards it as the short straw because the Trinity has got a reputation for being a bit of a, a mystery. Uh, God is a mystery that we can't hope to try and understand. And there's a sense in which someone who tries to talk about the Trinity um, is preaching on one of the hardest uh, things uh, of the year, this great dense uh, theological idea or doctrine. And I have to say, I don't see it that way uh, myself at all for two reasons. The first is that the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was formulated by Christians, the Christians of the early church 
Um, now, that's not to say that they made it up. Of course, they didn't make it up. They clearly derived it from Scripture. But the word Trinity itself doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It doesn't appear in Scripture. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is something that the early Christians came up with to try and make sense of their experience. And if they came up with an understanding of God as Trinity, as God as three in one, that's the, what the word Trinity means. The tri bit is the same as triangle, tripod, tri anything, three, and the mickey bit is, is unity. Uh, in other words, one. So the, the whole word Trinity means three in one. If they came up with the idea of God as Trinity, um, the earliest Christians, then it shouldn't be too difficult for us to work out um, why and how uh, they did so. And the second reason why I don't think we should uh, dread Trinity Sunday or get worried about it is that I believe that God has given us minds and thoughts and brains and God expects us uh, to use them as far as they'll go. Obviously, God is ultimately a mystery. I would take that for granted. We'll never know everything about God. We shouldn't expect to. We are finite and God is infinite. But on the other hand, we have been given gifts, God-given gifts of thought, gifts of understanding. And so I think it's our job, our duty, our responsibility to try and use those gifts as far as they will go. And if we look at the doctrine of the Trinity and what the earliest Christians came up with, I don't think it's difficult, that difficult, to see how they came up with this idea of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I say, the word Trinity isn't itself in Scripture, but the idea of it very much is. And what the early Christians did is simply try and take Scripture and make sense of it. And the doctrine of the Trinity is what came out after their thoughts and their deliberations. There are places, for example, in Scripture where the threefoldness of God is very apparent. Uh, we could say it's implicit. And what the early Christians did by calling it the Trinity was to make it explicit. Um, an example is the very end of Paul's second letter um, to the Corinthians, uh, which you're very welcome um, to look up. Uh, and uh, at the end of that letter, uh, Paul signs off. It's his sort of signature at the end uh, in verse 14 uh, of chapter 13 of the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, and that's what we commonly know uh, as Christians is the grace. It's the prayer called um, the grace. And it's clearly mentioning all three bits of the, the, the Holy Trinity there, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul, um, while he wasn't thinking the word Trinity when he wrote that letter, um, it was naturally the terms in which um, he was thinking. He couldn't help but express himself uh, in this way as talking of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a result of his own experience of Jesus, his own Christian experience. And so, if you like, he ends up talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit unselfconsciously uh, in a way that the early Christians pick up and say, well, this is God in a nutshell. This is what God is. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they take things from there. So in other words, the idea of God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a natural outworking of Scripture. It's what Scripture points to, even if it doesn't use the word Trinity uh, itself. 
And to dig a little bit deeper, you can see how this has come about. The Israelite people uh, believed and thought of God as Yahweh. They had um, this God who cared for them, and they sometimes compared God to a father who cares for uh, children. And they also talked, uh, if they wanted to talk about God's closeness to them, they talked about God's uh, breath or spirit. Uh, breath and spirit in both Hebrew and Greek being the same words. For example, in the very opening words of the whole Bible itself, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the spirit of God, the breath of God, was moving on the face of the waters. So already, even in the opening verses of the whole Bible, we've got God, and we've also got God's spirit. And then as the Old Testament goes on, uh, it talks about God's spirit filling certain people at certain times. There's a fantastic story about uh, uh, David, who would later become King David, as a very small boy being anointed um, as king. Uh, and we're told the spirit of God filled David mightily from that day forward. So the spirit of God in the Old Testament is filling certain people um, at certain times. Um, in the prophecy of Isaiah, the prophet talks about uh, the Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and so on. And that became interpreted by the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, as a prophecy of God's Messiah, God's coming one, who would similarly be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And then when we come to the New Testament, the opening verses of Mark's Gospel uh, talk about uh, John the Baptist, and he says to the people who come out to listen to him that one is coming after him who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then along comes Jesus, he's baptized, uh, and as he comes out of the water, a dove descends upon him, and there is this voice, uh, this is my son, listen to him. Jesus at his baptism is filled um, with God's Spirit, uh, and uh, the Christians of the early church say uh, Jesus is filled with God's spirit um, in a sense in more fully um, than anyone else. You and I are uh, sons and daughters of God. We've just sung in our song, I am a child of God. Um, Jesus, of course, is the son, we might say par excellence, the son uh, most fully embodied with the spirit, most fully filled with um, with the Spirit. Uh, the early Christians talk of God, of, of Jesus as the only begotten Son, to try and capture that distinctiveness of Jesus as being filled with the Spirit um, completely fully. So those early Christians ended up um, with uh, God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit, who's been around since the beginning of creation, but who filled Jesus, and then who then filled Jesus' disciples at Pentecost. When we say that we believe in one God, we're saying that the God who made the universe in the beginning of time is exactly the same one who filled Jesus and who uh, Jesus embodied uh, and is exactly the same one who goes on in the world today filling people who are open to that spirit. So you've got the Father, you've got the Son who embodies the Father, and then you've got the Spirit of God, uh, which is the same as the Spirit of Jesus, because Jesus was the embodiment of God.
So you can see how there's this oneness of God, but there's this threeness as well, and the two are sort of fully integrated um, with one another. But there is a danger when it comes to thinking of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the danger comes with the sort of images that it conjures up in our mind. I mean, I wonder if I ask you what image the word Trinity sort of puts in your head, what sort of image would you come up with? For some people, it might be something sort of, you know, triangular. There's God, there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the sort of the lines are sort of almost drawn up between them to make a triangle or perhaps um, a circle. Um, the pictures which I've sent to Owen, have we got the first one? Is that all right? Because this picture is uh, taken from the roof of the church, which I used to work in before I came to the cathedral. Um, I don't know if you've got them uh, up in uh, St. Helens, but in, uh, in this particular church where the, the wooden beams cross in the roof, um, you get these things, this is called a boss, uh, which is sort of um, where the timbers in the roof meet. Uh, and these bosses were decorated by medieval uh, craftsmen, uh, and they were decorated with different symbols. Uh, and this is uh, a symbol on one of the bosses in the church where I used to work, and it's called the symbol of the three hairs. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, it's uh, got three hairs in it, and it's it's quite a clever symbol because uh, each hair has got obviously two ears, but there's only three ears in total altogether because they're sharing the ears of each other. Um, and it's, this is from understood to be a medieval depiction of God, um, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, in, a, in a dance altogether. But the, the danger is this, and we might call it, um, uh, to use the name of a restaurant not too far from here, the Cozy Club um, danger. Um, uh, the Cozy Club restaurant being uh, just around the corner. I've, I've nothing against the Cozy Club. In fact, I've, uh, you know, I've eaten there once or twice, and it was very nice. Um, but um, uh, I have got a problem with the Cozy Club when our image of God takes that and we think of the Holy Trinity as a sort of little wrapped-up bubble, um, sort of all self-absorbed and all very self-contained and all very happy. Because if we were looking at an image like this and say, well, where do we place ourselves in relation to God, the Trinity? Um, there's only one answer, and that is we're outside their cosy little circle. We're sort of on the edge. We're on the margins, we're superfluous, we're not really needed, um, we're um, uh, outside. But that is not the testimony of Scripture. As soon as we conceive of God as a cosy club, all wrapped up in God's self, needing no one or anything, then we've misread the Bible and we've constructed a false image. Because the fact is that God longs to be with us and God remains discontent until you and I and all creation have joined in God's cosy club, which won't be that cosy because we'll all um, be in it 
Um, that's the whole point of, of Christ. That's the whole point of the incarnation on which the doctrine of the Trinity is predicated. God is not content to remain wrapped up in God's own self, self-contained in God's own little bubble, but God comes to meet us in his Son and brings us home. God draws us into the divine life itself, which is the most um, remarkable and amazing thing. Take, for example, a passage from Isaiah chapter 6. It's a classic passage which the church uses on Trinity Sunday um, for two reasons. First, in verse 3, um, the uh, cherubim and the seraphim sing um, to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And that threeness of the holy, that repeated holy, is, if you like, a sign of the threefoldness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, uh, the voice of the Lord says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Not who will go for me. This is God saying, who will go for us? God is, is plural. Uh, not that there's more than one God, but God uh, is uh, a community, Father, Son, uh, and Holy Spirit. So that's why this reading is particularly um, relevant for Trinity Sunday. It's also a reading that's used at um, ordinations, but not just at ordinations, on any commissioning for ministry because um, of Isaiah's response um, to the Lord, who will go for us, here am I, uh, send me, which is the most wonderful thing, actually, that any Christian can say in their heart before the presence of God. Here I am, send me, use me. I wish to be in your service. Use me as you will. Whatever you want to do, um, I will do it, and uh, I will go for it. It is an amazing reading, uh, even sort of in the opening verses of the reading. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord. Now, it's a commonly accepted thing of Scripture um, that no one has ever seen God. That's what it says in John's Gospel. It also says it in the first letter of John. And even Moses, that great prophet of the Old Testament, was only ever allowed to see God's back. And here is Isaiah saying, I saw the Lord. No wonder he's then absolutely trembling. No wonder he's absolutely really bricking himself, uh, because he has seen um, the Lord that nobody else has seen. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a person of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, so it's as hot as it can be, and with it he touched my mouth. Um, now, what it doesn't say here is the scream of pain um, that Isaiah had um, when this live coal touched his lips. I mean, our lips are, are part of the most sensitive parts of our bodies, are they not? Um, and I don't know about your lips. I think if my lips were touched with a live coal, I'd expect them to sort of be blistered within seconds. Um, and to um, it's, it could well have been for Isaiah a very painful experience to be touched. Um, uh, with that live coal. Uh, and yet, it is a cleansing experience, a purifying experience. See, this has touched your lips, 
your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Uh, and then the voice of the Lord says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, no one. In other words, this circle of God is not a closed circle. It's not a wrapped up bubble. Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are open, saying, come on in. We want you to be part of our own life. Uh, it's the most amazing and remarkable thing. Uh, another image, alternative to this one, which I think um, gets it very well, is um, an icon. I think it's a 14th century um, icon. If we could possibly have it up, that would be brilliant, by an artist called uh, Rublev. And it's um, uh, an icon, a picture of God, the Holy Trinity. And the, the amazing and wonderful thing uh, about this is that you've got um, God the Father, presumably on the far side, and God the Son and God the Spirit on either side. There is an open place on this nearest fourth side of the table and it's an invitation for us to join in God's very own divine life. The one who created everything, the creator of heaven and earth, uh, takes a personal interest in us and longs for us and for all creation to take our place at the table within that hospitality. And that place will be kept for us until everyone, everything in all creation uh, has been brought in and sat at the place. And if that is what God is like, if that is the nature of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, not a cosy club, but an open table where we are invited to join in, then that's the sort of people who you and I need to be in our Christian lives, not people of cosy clubs, not people restricting uh, our own circles to particular people and keeping others out, but people who keep space at the table and a constant invitation um, to others to join in. Sort of, if you like, the opposite to the cosy club is the absolutely fantastic billboard that you've got on your east end because it's a great long table people are having a fantastic time and the thing that strikes me um, at eye level is the end of the table I mean I, you know if you <laughs> if you see a bit of graffiti you'll know it's come from the, the cathedral uh, I just want to draw a plate uh, and a sort of chair at the very end as though this is for you this is an empty place it's for you to come and join in because we're not a cosy club we are open, and we are not uh, keeping anybody out. If we are to model God the Holy Trinity in our own lives, if we are to take God as our example, take Christ as our example for our lives, we need to, uh, to steer clear of any environment which is a closed shop, self-contained, that has no interest in and seeks to exclude those who are outside because that's the very opposite of the Holy Trinity in whose image we're made. The Trinity ever seeks to bring people in, to open itself up to others and to include those who are outside. The extraordinary thing is that the love which made the whole universe, which brought the universe into being, seeks to have you and I at its very heart and core. 
minuscule as we are, to seat us at the table. It's rather significant, isn't it, that this is a communion service and uh, whoever will be standing here, Owen or whoever else, will be inviting us to take our place uh, at the table. So may we, who on this Trinity Sunday are invited into the extraordinary love of God, may you and I ever be people of open circles. May we ever seek to break open closed circles. May we be people who resist and pop self-enclosed bubbles so that everyone, all creation, might be brought in to the ambit and the orbit of God's extraordinary love. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you for your openness, for your love which is not self-contained but which has a place for us at its table. We thank you that despite our unworthiness, like the prophet Isaiah, you invite us in and include us in your mission and your life. And we pray that we may conform to that same image in which you have made us. That we may be people who are ever open to those around us, ever seeking to give them a place at our tables. And this we ask in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord.